Welcome everybody out to episode 106 of Utah in the Weeds. My name is Tim Pickett and I am the host. Here is a great episode describing and interviewing and discussing and conversing with a good friend of mine, Lissa Reed, who is the manager of the Uplift program. Oh, there's the dog in the background. He's howling because he likes the program too. So Uplift is a great program in Utah designed for low-income and terminally ill patients who need access to medical cannabis, and it's a subsidy program. We describe how the program works here, uh, and get to know Lissa Reed, too, who is an amazing part of the team, somebody with a, a deep background, as you'll hear, in uh, community development and community program development, frankly. Uh, she's a great individual, very, uh, very excited to share this with you because when you do good things, you know, good things happen. And we've raised a lot of money for people in Utah. Uh, it's a program that does nothing but give back to the community. And I think it's, it's kind of designed, I don't know, I'm patting ourselves on the back a little bit because I feel like it's designed and implemented in a way that does nothing but good for the whole system. Uh, for medical cannabis here in Utah. So I'm excited to share this with you. Lissa Reed, a good friend of mine, Utah in the weeds. Okay, Lissa Reed, Alessandra Reed. That's me. Hi. When did you first smoke cannabis? Oh, um, it was uh, it was a 420 and I was in high school. In South Florida? South Florida, yeah. Um, I grew up near Fort Lauderdale in the suburb out there. And I remember that I had been like talking to some of my weed smoking friends for a few months about what it's like to smoke weed. And I was like, mm-hmm. hmm, that sounds, that sounds good. You know, I think I'm ready to try it. And then 420 hit and, I, and you know, everyone was making their 420 plans. And I was like, yeah, I'll come. So um, it was real shady because we were high schoolers in a state where it's not, a, it's not legal. So, Mm -hmm. uh, we like hid behind some kind of tree or something, (laughs) (laughs) smoked a bowl. Uh, and then I had to go to, was it a glass bowl or was it like, uh, do you remember? I think it was probably a glass bowl. Like a, with a lighter, a Bic lighter. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Okay. And just whatever. Yeah. Whatever weed anybody could get. (laughs) It was weed. That's as much as I knew. Um, right. Okay. And then you had to go somewhere. Yeah, I had a piano lesson that night, that evening. Oh. Um, which was bold of me. But I remember coming home from from hanging out with my friends and being like, okay, I gotta play piano and make sure I can do this in front of my teacher. And I was like, oh my God, I'm amazing at piano. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, <laughs> so you sat, you sat down to the piano and you're like, just getting yeah. into it. I was like, wow, weed made me so good at things. Um, I'm sure it didn't. Wow. Sure it, I was just high. But, <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, I made it through the lesson. Uh, nobody brought it up. So I don't think she knew. <laughs> wow. That's pretty good. Yeah. And it was all downhill from there. Then, then of course, it was like, oh, yeah, I did that once. I can do it again. <laughs> did you ever get paranoid, though? Or oh, were yeah. you like, I always remember in high school, just the paranoia yeah. of it was so much fun right up until the moment I inhaled. <laughs> and then after that, it was just like, oh, man, I was so worried about everything. Yeah, I, I look back and I'm like, why did I keep doing that? Because I was definitely paranoid all the time. All the like, time. Like, was it even fun yeah. or was it just like? fun to be Breaking rebellious yeah yeah i mean yeah i feel the same I way I, it actually has taken me a long time to get over the paranoia like till recently yeah. oh really what made you get over it just like using different strains different products yeah or was it the experience like giving yourself permission to be high i think that like working in this industry um it definitely was, it, it has happened since joining the, the cannabis industry where um, occasionally I'll be like, oh, you know, everyone's a little bit high today. Maybe I'll try it at work. 
<laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, I'm in yes. some pain. Like, maybe it's okay for me to take a hit right now and then, you know, see if I can still keep my wits about me. Um, and, yeah, I think I've I've learned, like, what I what works for me when I'm medicated and what doesn't work for me, what kind of tasks. And so I'm less worried all the time, like, oh, everyone thinks I'm an idiot right now because I'm high and I don't know what to do. I, yes. I, I can like regulate it more. Yeah. You plan. I feel like I can plan it out. Yeah. Right? Like now if I have a three o'clock meeting or I need to record a podcast, I mean, uh, there's a couple of podcasts that I've been <laughs> A little medicated. Not, not, a, not a lot mm-hmm. though. Cause I don't, um, I, I don't know the, just the way my brain works. I don't really, I don't love to have, um, conversations where I have to think about questions mm-hmm. and where the direction, I guess it's the direction of the conversation. If I need to, if I feel like I need to guide the conversation in a specific way, mm-hmm. I don't like to be high. Yeah. If I don't need to guide the conversation at all, and I just need to be present. Mm-hmm. That's a totally different scenario. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel right. like uh, if I'm doing really logistical work, I, I do not. I will wait to medicate until later. Um, but mm-hmm. if it's more conversational, like, you know, I work events occasionally. If I'm out talking yeah. to the community, like, that's a good time for me to, to, to medicate if I need to. To medicate. Yeah. yeah. I've found that there are people who, um, I met somebody who does social media for a company and they found that man medicating before they do all their, they pre plan all their posts mm-hmm. and they, I guess it's easier to come up with quippy little statements yeah. and to think about yourself. Like, absolutely. That's going to work. Great post. <laughs> that's going to work. Great. Schedule that one. Right. And not being so uh, inhibited yeah. um, with like worrying about what you're going to say with things that really, I mean, they matter and you want to say good things, but, but you don't need to like really stress over every yeah. single detail and make sure it's going to yeah. work. Right. Yeah. So what, okay. So tell us the story. I, I, I think I know the story, but <laughs> tell, tell everybody the story of how you got into cannabis. Cause I feel like this is, I mean, not, yeah. Okay. I want to know <laughs> the story. So you're in Florida uh-huh. You're going to school. You graduate high school. Yeah. Thank goodness. Did that. The weed didn't kill you. <laughs> Mom, I made it. <laughs> yeah. Mom, thank goodness. Okay, so then did you go to college in Florida first? Yeah, I went to Florida State for my bachelor's. Uh, got it in music theory. Played a bunch of music up there. I um, While I was in my undergrad, I was on the Students for Sensible Drug Policy Club. Um I don't know if you knew that. What was yeah. that like? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess I've just always been like pro drugs. Um, I think drugs are, are fun and good if you if you like educate yourself and, you know, want to explore what your brain's like. So the Students for Sensible Drug Policy is, uh, is, is exactly what it sounds like it is. It's students advocating for, for drug policy changes. Um, how much impact do you think those students actually have? Well, in my time there, I think there's a lot of local impact that can be made. Um, I haven't mm-hmm. really kept up with the org on a national scale lately, so I don't really know what they're doing now. Um, but in my time there, I, I'm pretty sure that SSDP was really involved in getting uh, Good Samaritan laws in Florida, which is if you're with somebody who's doing an illegal drug and you are too, but that person overdoses, you have amnesty. If you call for medical help, they can't charge you for the, for the drug use or the paraphernalia charges because you're trying to save someone's life right now. Yeah. So I think that that was an impact we had. And then um, they've been pretty involved in getting like naloxone centers, uh, harm prevention type stuff. Mm hmm. Well, I mean, they're the ones in the in the thick yeah. of it, so to speak, right? I'm here. I need the naloxone right, right now. Right. Like, listen to yeah. me. So yeah. I think I think so. Those, 
groups have a lot of impact that way. And then another thing we did was a lot of education on campus. Like we would bring in speakers and stuff and just kind of try to, to move a cultural shift. Mm -hmm. Then you went to Ohio Mm -hmm. next? Did my master's at Ohio state also in music theory. Uh, I didn't do any interesting cannabis related things there other than, you know, smoke weed. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's Ohio, but the Ohio state, the, the, and Ohio, and it's trademarked. Now. Yeah. Did you, the did you v. hear that? Right. <laughs> the V is trade. It's, they own it. They own uh-huh. the V. We, we yeah. own the V as a Buckeye. Yeah, well, of course you do. <laughs> of course you do. Why does one study music theory and then go on to get a master's in music theory? This is a, I'm sure that's a, there's a really pressing question that everybody wants to know the answer yeah. to. I'm not, I'm smiling right now because we're friends, uh-huh. but I really, like, I love music mm-hmm. and I do understand now more talking to you that there, there is, there is, well, there's theory and, and there's science kind of mm-hmm. behind all things. Music is no mm-hmm. different. Um. But what made you want to go on and get a master's? Yeah, well, my goal was a PhD, um, which I will get to, I guess. Uh, But I wanted to teach, and I got to teach throughout all of grad school. I got to teach um, undergrad music theory classes. And what got me, what really got me into music theory is I was always pretty good at music, and I always hated practicing my instruments. And I was like, how do I do music in a way that doesn't make me sit alone in a practice room for eight hours a day and drive myself crazy? And so music theory is kind of like the, I like to call it like the linguistics of music sometimes or the math of music. It's kind of just the mechanical ways that notes fit together to create different effects, right? Um, So scales and chords, how are those things built? Those are kind of the building blocks of, of music theory. And I always really liked mm-hmm. those like logic puzzle type things, math things have always just kind of worked for me. So yeah, huh. so that's why I went cool. into that because I was like, oh, I could just do puzzles all day and listen to cool music. That's great. Yeah, that is really <laughs> okay. That that does make a lot of sense. And I like the logic part mm-hmm. of it. So you finish at the Ohio State, then you go to, wh- where'd you go in New the York? Eastman School of Music. In Rochester, New York, yeah. Uh, what does your family think about all this? You started in Florida, you go to Ohio. Like, are you, uh, do you, do you have a lot of siblings? I have two siblings, and we have all moved around several times as an adult. So it's kind of mm. the norm. We all moved out to go to college and then, you know, landed in different places from there. I at least stayed in the country. Both my siblings spent, you know, decent amounts of time in different countries. Um, wow. Yeah. So was that encouraged by your parents? Yeah, totally. They were, um, they were like, yeah, follow your dreams. You're succeeding. You're doing what you want to do. If that brings you to, you know, Japan for a summer, or it brings you to South Korea for a year. Great. Go out and do it. Did you, what did your parents do for work? Um, did they both work? Yeah. My mom worked in advertising um, she worked for a parenting magazine, which actually made for a great childhood for me. Very convenient. All kinds of fun kids events. Um, oh, yeah. And then my dad did something in software. I never understood it. <laughs> <laughs> he's gone now, so uh, I, can't, I can't ask clarifying questions. <laughs> huh. So parenting magazine and then and all these events mm-hmm. for the magazine, like... Is, do you feel like that's where you got your, you like enjoy events because when you were a kid, you used to go to these fun totally. events. Totally. And it was also my first job once I was 14, I think I started working at those events uh, for her. Um, what did you do? Just like manning a table, helping kids do crafts or sitting in a dunk tank. I did a lot of um, costume characters. I was the Easter bunny a few times at events. Oh, wow. <laughs> All for this parenting magazine that would, what kind of booths do, do these events have? I can't imagine a parenting booth like, hey, like don't hit your kid booth. (laughs) 
I think it's more like um, like advertising for products and locations. Oh, like yeah. the event would be like at the museum or at the zoo or something. And it was like a place kids wanted to go. And then they had all these community partners that would, you know, set up booths and tables. And, oh, yeah. cool. So you go to New York and you teach because now you're working on your PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is 2018, 2017. I started my PhD. Yeah. Um, yeah, I went to New York, the Eastman School of Music. It was like, still is one of the top schools in music theory in the country. So that was, it was kind of always my dream school. Um, oh, nice. And then I got there <laughs> and it turned out the dream wasn't, wasn't really my dream anymore. Um mm. It's, there's a lot of emotion in this for me because it was the life path I had set myself on from like age 16. I was just going to get a PhD in music theory and become a professor. And I worked, I was in school for like 10 years working on that. Um, And towards the end of it, it just, the academic life started to appeal less and less. It's a really, really overworked um, space where you're just expected to be working hundred percent of the time. And also you are your own, your own product, right? Like I had to market myself as an academic and that I just found that that really didn't work for me. I didn't, I love being part of a team. Like I love having a common goal and I don't, I just couldn't get motivated by I have to, I have to be the best. Like I have to show that I deserve one of the few academic jobs that are out there uh, by being better than everyone that I'm friends with. <laughs> like, hmm. Yeah. Because you're working. I mean, you, the people you would be working with at all would be the people who are striving for the same goal exactly. you are in a really limited yep. field. Yep. So during that time, you worked on so you worked for the drug policy in florida mm-hmm. but then you worked um you did more nonprofit work in new york yeah i got um i co-founded and uh, for a year i co-ran it this organization called project spectrum and it is an org that is dedicated to diversity and equity and inclusion and access in all music academia all that kind of like academic music studies world so not necessarily the performance world but all these nerds who are getting phds (laughs) and stuck in these really um just unequitable spaces that do a lot of harm to marginalized people uh and i was one of those marginalized people um i am a queer black woman so it was there were a lot of ways that the music academic space was just doing harm to me and, and my communities. Um, and so a few of us kind of started this org to start making some changes in the way that we talk about people in our fields. Did that, was it mostly just to like bring up the conversation and to kind of expose it? You feel like that was, that's definitely a big part of it. And I, we really had a big impact on that conversation. Oh, you did? Yeah. I mean, I imagine if you're not talking about it before yeah. and you have people that are academics that have skills of communication mm-hmm. can, and it's 2017, yeah. 18, is this the time yep. frame, right? So I mean, you're going to have a pretty big voice yeah, yeah. pretty People, quickly oh. in the circles because you already have, I mean, you're already working on your PhD. You're already kind of somebody yeah. in this, in this small yeah. pond. Yeah. Um, so you're going to stir the yeah. pond. Yeah. And then the other thing is, so our org was entirely run by grad students of color, which was awesome. Um, it was people from different schools that we kind of networked at conferences and then decided to start this thing. Um, And it's fairly common in academia that um, scholars of color who make it 
are already like at the best schools. So we were all kind of from these elite schools. Um, oh. Which meant that we had networks that had influence, right? Like it was oh, me yeah. from Eastman, a couple people from Harvard. I think we had a Yale, we had a U Chicago. Um, so yeah, so we had these networks of impact already. Uh, and that really, that really was useful. <laughs> I mean, what did the work look like? Yeah. Um, I'll say first, I'm talking about this Oregon past tense, but they are still alive and well and doing amazing things since I've left academia. Uh, if you are happening to listen to Utah in the Weeds podcast and you're in music academia, um, hi, let's be friends. And also go check out Project <laughs> Spectrum. <laughs> yes. Um, so we did, a, we did a bunch of different projects. Our first thing was a, a conference. Um, it was called Diversifying Music Academia. And our theme was Strengthening the Pipeline. Um, so we had this conference. It was in San Antonio. And we planned it so it would be right before the big music conference that happens every year. Um, so that people would already be flying in and they could just come out a couple days early and come to our conference on diversity and music mm -hmm. academia. And that really worked. We had about 120 people come to our very first conference. We were this new org asking people to fly in early. Um, and there were just enough people in the field that were hungry for, for those kinds of conversations. So they, they came out and we had workshops, we had speakers, we had like networking and fellowship events. And it was all centered around this idea of strengthening the pipeline for marginalized scholars. So that, that kind of is looking at all the ways between being like an undergrad and becoming a professor all of these leaky spots that marginalized scholars tend to leave that pipeline, tend to leak out mm -hmm. um, or be pushed out. Um, we were kind of trying to look at all these different stages of a scholar's career and where are the holes that we can plug for uh, diverse scholars. Hmm. That's cool. I'm, I mean, I like this. It's... Uh... It really is your you from the beginning <laughs> to now. And as you get to know people, um, I, I don't know if everybody is like this, but certainly it almost is like you enhance yourself. You're like enhancing yourself as you go along your life journey. Mm -hmm. um, and you totally have, have, have done this. At least so far. I mean, certainly not over with <laughs> yet. No, no, definitely haven't arrived no. <laughs> right to the to all the things that everybody you know that you want mm -hmm. to do. Okay, so then COVID hits. So COVID hits. Um, I was working. Oh, I did a lot of music psychology research. So at the time, I had a grant from the National Science Foundation. I was working on this big multi-site study on on music cognition and our lab got shut down when COVID got shut down. We couldn't keep testing human subjects. So I came out to Utah because my sister had moved out here by then. And I was like, I don't know how long this COVID thing's going to last, but I don't want to be stuck in my one bedroom apartment by myself, not working. So I'll come out and like be with my family and help with the childcare of my niece while everyone else is working from home. Um, so I showed up like March of 2020 and I stayed for about two months at first and then I, it was time to go back and I realized I really, really didn't want to. <laughs> um, so I just decided to move out here. So I just went back and got my stuff and came back. Um, and at that point I was still in school. I was doing remote. Um, I was kind of done with my coursework and just... I was teaching a class still and working on my dissertation. And so I was like, I can do this from anywhere. I don't need to be in Rochester, which was not my favorite place I've lived already. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I stuck with it remote in my apartment in Utah. And then over that next year, I was like, oh, it wasn't just Rochester that I wanted to leave. It's this whole 
this whole shebang. The whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> and okay, so that's when you started working for Utah Therapeutic. Yeah. And your your that's when that's when our paths crossed. Yeah. So, but there was this other piece that you did with this bale. Oh yeah. Remember that bale? Yeah. Yeah, remember that? Yeah, so I was too? so when I first moved out here, I was working a little bit with um What are they <laughs> what called? Are they called? <laughs> Why is it, so I know what they do, right? Mind. So I know what they call they so they they support giving bail to uh low income is it they, they focus on minorities or just low income people who cannot afford their own I bail? I think they don't have because yeah. if you're rich if you're rich or you have any money, you can go get a, I think you can go get a bond. You can mm-hmm. go like somebody will post your bail mm-hmm. for you. But if you're broke, you stay in yeah, jail. Yeah, whether you're convicted or not, right? You just have to wait yeah, there. Yeah, right. Like you just, yeah, you just and wait there. And that ruins people's really not, lives, right? You lose your job if you don't show up for three days. And if you're innocent and you're stuck in bail or stuck in jail just because you don't have money, now you have even less money when you come out because you lost your job. I know it's really such a broken system. Yeah. My uh, an acquaintance of mine has been involved in the system for a little while and has money and, um, you know, at least enough money to pay all mm-hmm. fees. And it's like, a, I mean, it's like a siphon. It just siphons money away from yep, people. The parole, the meetings, the testing, the lawyers, the, uh, the home, home, uh, home confinement. I mean, everything costs money. You want the ankle thing, you got to mm-hmm. pay for it. You want the, like everything just all costs yep. money. And the bail and not being able to get out, that that would be pretty rough. I, When you first told me about this organization, I thought, well, this is kind of crazy. They're like letting criminals out of, <laughs> you know, of course, my white privileged <laughs> mind is like, well, they're letting criminals out of the, out of the jail. But when I started thinking about it, I'm like, well, it doesn't make yeah. sense. Criminals are getting the out only of jail have to as stay. long as they have money, right? Yeah, like... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's it's the Salt Lake City Bail Fund, or Salt Lake Community Bail Fund, um, and that is kind of affiliated with Decarcerate Utah. That's the org that I was working with for a little bit. Um, the Bail Fund is just one of their projects in this larger decarceration effort in Utah. Um, but it mm-hmm. is, yeah, cool. they just will pay, they raise money and they use it to pay the bail of whoever needs it. Whoever needs their, their cool. bail paid. That's cool. Yeah. Um, that's a cool little organization. Yeah, it's really cool. I think. Um, especially when, when now we get into talking about cannabis <clears throat> and there are so many people that have been incarcerated for cannabis and really just stupid charges. Yeah. Um, and then if you're broke, you can't get yeah. out. Yeah. That sucks. It's terrible. Okay, so you start working in cannabis, but now, what do you do now? Okay, okay hi, present day. Um, so I started working for UTTHC. Fast forward. Uh, started out doing outreach and events mainly. And as I was doing all this community outreach, I just couldn't kind of let go of the fact that a lot of people who need medical cannabis just can't access it because of that same, that same thing. They just can't afford it. And so maybe they're still using cannabis, but without a med card, right? And they're at risk legally there because they just can't afford the med card or Maybe they're just in pain and they they don't have access to the kind of medicine that can help them, right? Or they're, you know, on 10 different opiates or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. And so doing all this outreach, I was like, you know what we need to do for outreach is we need to find money to help get our services to the people who can't afford it. So I started the Uplift program. um, And that is what I run now. Just like that. that. Yeah. I was like, hey, Tim, is it okay if I uh, start this program and run it and you keep paying me? And then you were like, okay. (laughs) It kind of was about that easy. Yeah, it really was. (laughs) If I remember it. It was. Well, you were were really invested, I mean, I feel like there was... Oh, totally, because we're... I mean, we're going along with with the the evaluations and cards, and there's there's a lot of... um, and there was a lot of people that were complaining that they couldn't get access. And I was seeing it too. The program is literally designed for the, the most sick. Like, how did we get this program passed? 
in Utah? Well, we bring the most sick, the most traumatized. We bring those people to the mm-hmm. Capitol. Now, granted, we raise a bunch of signatures, but we really, but we literally use the stories that are the most impactful, have the most chance of impacting a legislator. Mm-hmm. And those are the stories that a lot of those stories revolve around people who can't afford yeah. uh, the product or they can't afford the evaluation, or they're not getting the good education because they're asking some, I mean, sorry, folks, but they're just asking some doctor who doesn't know shit about cannabis how to use it. So so when you say, hey, we need to design this program that gives back to those people that literally helped us pass this, helped us get legal cannabis in Utah, it just seemed to make sense. Now, I love the idea because then it's a puzzle that we can solve right uh-huh. so i remember you know trying to figure out like okay well how are we going to make this self create a self perpetuating machine yeah that w- that can do can this keep bringing in the money and keep bringing in the patients yeah right that's i love that part of uplift um because that's my personality. I like to solve those types yeah, of problems. Yeah, you and I both. And it's always so fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, the, the chords, the yeah. music theory, right? You're like putting these puzzles together. How do we do this? So, uh, so Uplift. So how does Uplift work? Um, mm-hmm. This is, I. we have found, you and I have found that this is somewhat unique yeah. in kind of the US. Yeah. We don't know of another program that does this. If you're out there and you have a program love this like this, we'd love yeah. to hear about it. But comment don't, I don't, uh, below. Yeah, comment <laughs> comment below. Slam the subscribe button. Right? Um, yeah. Okay. So Uplift works. Um, it's kind of similar to the Salt Lake Bail Fund. Actually, we bring in money and then we use it to get med cards to people who need it. So more complexly, we raise money um, from individual donations, mostly our own patients have been so generous um, when we tell them about this program. They're like, yes, I want to help somebody else get a med card who needs it. And so a lot of our patients donate. We get a lot of online donations too. And then we have um, several industry partners that we work with and that we refer patients to um, have agreed to match donations alongside UTTHC. Um So the first $1,000 that we raise every single month is matched by UTTHC and by each of our our industry partners. Most of them are dispensaries or pharmacies. Who's our industry partners now? Right now. In Utah. Right now, we've got uh, Wholesome Co. Cannabis. We've got Deseret Wellness. We've got uh, Zion Medicinal. We've got Block Pharmacy. And we've got Perfect Earth Modern Apothecary. And UTTHC uh, is also matching donations. Right. So six times matching. Yes. So, and Curaleaf has uh, wants to join. Yeah, we've got um, we've got some some folks that are excited to join on. And uh, if you're listening to this, we still are always happy to bring in more sponsors. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I'm mentioning these people because literally, if you are listening and you're not one of those. Yeah, groups, what are you doing? You really should what be. What are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? It's a thousand, like it's a thousand. The first thousand yeah. dollars goes back. It directly funds patients to get in there, get their evaluation, get good education, get their med card. And then all of those pharmacies supply a discount to those patients right. um, in order to in order to help them on the other side. That's too. right. And that's one of my favorite things about the Uplift program is we are really focused on the med card side because that's what we do at UTTHC. We do the evaluations, we do the patient education, we help navigate them through the whole process of state certification and all of that. Um, But we don't touch the product, right? We don't touch cannabis actually in our business. Mm -mm. Uh, But of course, that's where most cannabis patients' money goes. They get the evaluation, you know, that's done for six months and then they still have to go out and buy out of pocket their medicine. So I am just so thankful that our um, our Uplift co-sponsors have agreed to do this 25% discount for Uplift patients on cannabis products in their pharmacies. Um, I think that's amazing. And I think that really, really helps people every day. 
So the patients who we support, who Uplift supports in Utah are low income plus terminally ill patients. That's the qualifying. That's right. Um, kind of, obviously you have to qualify for a, for a med card and have the conditions that would warrant that. That's, you know, the, all the normal stuff, the QMP evaluation and that sort of thing. But, but we focus on the uh, Medicaid eligible or Medicaid mm -hmm. um, people who have Medicaid as that being a nice objective measure of income, right. essentially. Right. And so we've, for up to this point, we have used Medicaid as the main metric for uh, income verification because mm -hmm. we pour a lot of resources into this program already. Um, and doing that income verification in-house would take a lot more of our resources. So at this point, we kind of have right. said okay, we can only do so much and we're doing absolutely as much as we can, but Medicaid is already verifying people's incomes. So if they have Medicaid, then they fit our requirements and that's that. Yeah, makes it, um, it does simplify it. It would be nice and hopefully one day we figure out a way to expand that. Totally. Um, but it's really hard. I've, I've found that it is, that it is somewhat challenging to navigate a program like this and make sure that it kind of is sustainable yeah. because everybody wants, well, and you know, of course the partners want to see that there's people joining the program and that, um, that we're doing the work that we said that we're going to yeah. do. Um, do you think that this is something that you can scale in a bigger way? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm hopeful that we can. Um, it would take a lot more money and kind of the infrastructure to bring that money in. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, like, as we're talking about it, there's no doubt in my mind that this is a totally scalable yeah. uh, thing. Fi uh, nonprofit, like I, I had talked to Matt Hoffman and interviewed him about his Our Cannabis nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And this is a this is something that I think could easily be a big nonprofit, but it's one thing to run it from inside the yeah. clinic, essentially that is doing a lot of the work, well, doing all <laughs> of the work, right? To to get all of this done, it's another thing to run an organization where you actually, where now you have to take the money you're you're getting as donations and matching, and then pay clinics yeah, to see those patients to see the patient. That's a whole layer of complexity right. that we don't have to deal with right, right. now. But um, probably. Which may, probably makes it more efficient. Yeah, probably will. <laughs> yeah, probably good. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think right now, like right now, this is a UTTHC program, right? The only way to get your med card through Uplift is at a UTTHC clinic. And personally, I think mm -hmm. that's great because I think we do a really, really good uh, cannabis education and evaluation. I think that patients are really well served when they come into our clinics. And that's what I want to put sure. this money towards is giving our patients a really good experience and getting them off on the right foot on their cannabis health journey. Sure. Um, yeah, but I think scaling it up, I there's just so much more need than we can fulfill right now. Like I've got a long wait list already. Um, so we're looking for, we're working on developing it into a, a, a something with more capacity. Yeah. And I think that now that we're, we're seeing that there's more need and there seems to be enough interest in, in matching donations and like giving back to this mm -hmm. community effort, I think that there is a justification to scale it. Yeah. Totally. Um, and get more donors totally. who can not only match a, a thousand dollars, but you know, Put a, put a $30,000 or a $300,000 check yeah. in there. What Wouldn't it be cool to have $300,000 as a donation to say, okay, we can hire a couple of people. Mm -hmm. We can see, we can expand the program. We can, you know, we can just do more. Yeah. We can just help so many more yeah, people. I've, I mean, I've got a big wait list already for people we just don't have the funds for yet. And we, and yeah. we and as a principal in Uplift, we see people first come first serve. If you apply and you qualify, we'll bring you in in that order. There's no preference or anything. Um, but, oh shoot, what was I going to say? Uh, oh, 
just that we haven't really done very much outreach looking for patients who need this because we already have mm-hmm. a wait list, right? I would love to go out into the community and find those vulnerable patients who need medical cannabis and give them this opportunity. But right now it's just kind of like people who need it have to find us because we just can't, like the patients on the wait list would be at a disservice if we go out and look for more patients to add to the wait list. Right, (laughs) to add to the wait list. So how does this compare with the work you've done before with these organizations? We've never really talked about that because you've always, you've literally grown up. This is, this is really, by the way, really who you are. Yeah. I think, oh, right? Yeah. This type of thing just does seem to fit. Is this, how has this been different from the music theory mm. world for you? My favorite thing about doing this instead of music theory is that I'm directly impacting, I'm changing somebody's life every day. Um, with, with Like immediately. Yeah, like immediately. Somebody applies, they get approved, they come in, they get their med card, and now they have access to life-changing medicine. Um, (laughs) Before, I felt really passionate about a lot of the diversity and equity work I did in music theory, but it was in such a bubble, and it's really a long-term project. It doesn't have that immediate gratification Mm -hmm. of like, oh, somebody's life is better now because I I came to work today. So that is a big change that I really love. It's just that direct impact. Do you feel like that we could expand uplift into a, into more than medical evaluations? This has always been something we talk about and I'm interested to, you know, if, if you're listening to this and you happen to be listening to it on YouTube (laughs) and you make a comment of an idea of how you can solve this problem, uh, we are, we are more than happy to entertain it, but there's so much need in the like surrounding cannabis with incarceration mm-hmm. and giving back to the communities that were so impacted by the drug mm-hmm. war. It's it's always it's always on my mind of like how yeah. I don't know. I don't know whether or not just just stick with this yeah. because this is what we're good at. This is what we do. You know, we're we're in medicine, we we yeah. do this. Just do it well, make it bigger. Oh, help more people. I've got some ideas. Or do you want to expand it? <laughs> I want to expand okay, it. Well, I want to, I want uplift to, yeah, to have more kind of sub programs that help get medical cannabis access to people who need it. So like I said, we just do first come first serve right now, um, which I would like to keep doing, but I would also love to find, you know, maybe a donor wants to donate money specific for a specific population. Maybe there's a formerly incarcerated fund in Uplift and that will still be first come first serve, but only for those people who, who meet that demographic. Maybe there's a, a yeah. you know, homeless fund. Maybe there's a, um, you know, cancer patients fund, all these different kind of communities, I guess, that, that have a different interaction with cannabis. Um, I would love to find donors who want to support specific funds like that. Hmm. That's a really good idea. Thanks. Because you would imagine that somebody would, like if I had this experience and I had money and I wanted to help my particular community, that this would be a great avenue. Okay. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yes. Easy. All right. So so hit me up with your donations and your uh, discussions (laughs) for them and we'll take care of it. You know, the other thing that we haven't talked about is the, is, and I think, I think we're going to toot our own horn here, (laughs) horn here, but we, I think uplift affects the ability of the local cannabis industry to affect legislative change because we're just doing good things. It's hard to say no. Right. It's hard. It's really hard for the legislature to say no when they're like, well, we're giving, we're like supplying this service to people who absolutely mm-hmm. need it. Are you going to, yeah. How can you just take that away? Are you going to take that away from us? <laughs> Good yeah. luck. Oh, we can't Good do luck. that? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You can't, you can't do that. Yeah. So I love that part about, um, I love the statistics. 
How much have you? How much has Uplift raised this year? Oh, I should have had those numbers it's ready. Like Let me find. Like 40, 40, 40 something thousand. Looks like. Yeah, like 40, 45, about $45,000 this year. $45,000 this year. So we are literally on track. We're almost on track to raise $100,000 this yeah. year in 2022. I think we can do it. That's a good goal. I think we can do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think we could totally do it. Okay. There it is. <laughs> so how do you get a hold of, how do you get a, how do you donate to Uplift? Um, you, Utah marijuana dog org slash slash uplift. uplift. Yep. Uh, Utah marijuana dot org slash uplift. Go there now. Send us money. We will give it to patients who need it. Yeah, we don't take. We don't keep any <laughs> no. of the money. Okay. Like we don't keep any of the money. If you want an accounting of where the money goes? It's yeah. It's all very transparent. Yeah, that, and that we was a big goal for the yeah. program when we started it. We want. We want the patients going yeah. through There's it to no be able administrative to trust fee. it, and we want yep. the the cannabis community to be able to trust it. And I, I mean, I think we're pretty trustworthy with it. So, yeah, <laughs> I trust us. Yeah, I do uh, too. <laughs> so, and I think that's all that matters. And now that you know, <laughs> and now that everybody knows your story, I mean, there's no way they cannot trust you. Oh, good, because I cause you it was were all in high lie. school. <laughs> You were in high school on the responsible drug policy yeah. team. You were you were working for uh, diversity in music theory with a group that was making really big impact in your specific field. You then came to Utah and were raising money for poor people to get bail. I, like, <laughs> come on. It's just what I like to do. You called, it's pretty you awesome. called me Robin Hood once and it was the best compliment I ever got. <laughs> You are. You are. You're Robin Hood. Thank you. And let these let these cannabis companies, right? Like this is a this is a money making industry. Mm -hmm. Let let this be something that we give back to the patients. Yeah. Like put your money where your mouth is, totally. you know. Totally. It. It's so interesting to be in the in the cannabis space because um you know, everyone's kind of you enter and you're like, oh, this is a space that uh, that required a fight. Like it, it was unjust. It's still unjust in many ways. But like, you know, I think a lot of people in the cannabis space are like, yeah, we are we're in this together. We fought for legalization of medical cannabis. We're fighting for you know recreational legalization, whatever. But it's always been kind of a political thing, right? And yeah. so I think yes. A lot of people kind of have that automatic buy-in to, to initiatives like this, but some people need to be reminded sometimes like, hey, the fact that we, yeah. that, you know, we're standing in a dispensary is a huge privilege. And a lot of it people is. have been uh, hurt by this industry in the past. And like, we can really make an impact right now to kind of right some of those wrongs. Yeah. Totally agree. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> what else do we want to mention? Hmm. Talk about? What else have we missed? Good question. Oh, I guess we haven't talked about... Um, it, I mentioned a lot of our... I mentioned our pharmacy partners, but I didn't talk about our, our work with our canotherapy program. The kind of cross-programming... Oh, cross, that's right. The cross-programming cross between Uplift and our mental health... Um, program over at UTTHC. So uh, Cliff Ackerman, who has been on this podcast, hopefully you've heard those episodes. Um, he runs our, our canotherapy program at UTTHC and he was really excited about Uplift when he came on and he said, I want to contribute and, and it's been awesome. So yeah. he, um, he contributes the money to sponsor some of the canotherapy patients who are in financial need and need need access to medical cannabis. Um, so yeah. patients that go through canotherapy, if they can't afford the med card, he basically just will pay for it out of, yeah, that program, out of the canotherapy fund. Yeah, that program, yeah. Yep, that program pays <clears throat> for the evaluation when they need it. And that's been really awesome because it's kind of helped, helped move the wait list along too. We can kind of say, hey, do you want to try canotherapy? 
Um, it could be really, really yeah. good for you. And also maybe they can help sponsor you to move through this, this uplift program a little bit more quickly. And I know that, that that has really impacted several patients who have been on our wait list, had not considered therapy even. And then we were like, hey, why don't you try this? And now they're on a mental health journey too. Um, which is yeah, amazing. it's like it's something they didn't really understand the benefits right. of until they until they tried right. it, and then kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah. There's so much um, so much benefit from therapy, behavioral health therapy, especially when you get somebody you can be honest yeah. with. Like if you listen to Cliff's uh, interviews, I mean, just being able to be honest about your cannabis use with your doctor and your therapist, <laughs> the person you should be honest about this with um it's a big deal for patients and again it speaks to that idea that you're you're helping people now yeah, exactly right today you you could save a life you know cannabis is i've interviewed quite a few people mm-hmm. um where can where they they claim that cannabis really helped save their life what's your favorite strain <sighs> I'm not, I'm not good at this. I'm sorry. Uh, I buy vape carts mostly and I just go in and I'm like, I need a daytime one. Uh, what have you got? <laughs> and then I just, yep. I, I, in my mind, I'm like, Oh, I'll try lots of different strains. You know, now that I have medical access, like I can kind of t- tune in what I want, but then I, I don't, I just st- say the same thing every time. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, it works. Makes it I easy. I love lemon strains. I, those ones really work uh, the, for me. The lemonine, yeah. yep. It's a good daytime yeah, feel. It's good. Mm hmm. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so utahmarijuana.org slash uplift, or you could even call 801 851 5554. I always find it funny when I have mm-hmm. to say the phone number. <laughs> Um, out loud. And we've got, um, uh, you know, we've recently expanded Uplift. We've got a new staff member who's on Uplift all the time. So if you call, you'll probably talk to him and he'll help you with whatever you need. Awesome. Well, thanks, Lissa. Thank I you. am so happy you're here. Thanks. Me too. Um, <laughs> and you really are Robin Hood for 100% sure. <laughs> and I am also positive that this is really just the next step in a much bigger thing. And I hope that I hope uh, I'm excited to watch yeah. what happens. Oh, I'm excited. You'll, you'll and be, be a, a part, part of, of it. it. Yeah. Thanks. Cool. All right, everybody. Utah in the weeds. Uh, subscribe on any podcast player that you have access to, please. We really love when you download the podcast, share it around, share all the uplift um info you can and you can we definitely need more donations to help more people and um, stay safe out there stay safe out there